Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. Been away for a few weeks. Glad to be back. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, 2022, hope it's off to a good start. How you doing, man? How's the year so far? Man, employees of the year, back to work. I feel good. You know, um, I was really honored and proud. I just told you, like, some of the folks in our Facebook comments have been like, yeah, this song is good, or yeah, this news is crazy, but where's the podcast? So it's uh, it feels great to be missed, man. Word. That's dope, man. That's dope. You never know. You never know. Always good. Always good. I was in the comments over the last uh, few weeks and some really interesting debate, you know, about um, even st- still people talking about the KRS-1 versus Kane. I saw someone had mentioned that in the room there was a clear winner, uh, and that was KRS, which was different than what you and I had experienced. But I think we had both said that it felt like he was performing to the crowd in the building. So yeah. I can understand like how that how that might feel. But it's cool to like engage with, with people and uh, really chop it up. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's one of the things I love. I mean, we are, you know, what 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 episode number is this? I mean, we're up there at like this 73, 74, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, almost <clears throat> two years into this, we record when there's something to talk about. But it's interesting, you know, KRS One put out a new video and a new song called The Beginning. And, you know, we cover that on the site. We've 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 kind of um gotten back in the groove of covering the ambrosia of hip hop. And when we do that, it's a great reminder to say, Hey, by the way, if you're interested, here's a podcast. And that was a versus. I mean, I think a lot of people tuned in, but this week um, or in the last two weeks, 10 days, we picked up a lot of listeners and viewers that wanted to go back and have a conversation with somebody on versus, which is great. I love to see that that happened last year with Buster Rhymes and the VMAs. And we dedicated most of a podcast to his last album, um, you know, you and I are not veterans of the podcast space. I guess we are maybe now. Um, but to watch uh, just kind of how this ecosystem works is really dope. Word. And that was a dope song, man. I thought it was one of KRS's best in a long time. Sounded like he had a chip on his shoulder. He sounded fresh for 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so good to hear him making music, man. I hope Kane comes with something, too. That would be really dope. Yeah, I would like that. I would like that a lot. And I couldn't agree with you more. So the subject of music, it, um, it very, I think that, you know, the first seven days of the year were, were as usual, kind of slow. And and let's not forget either at the end of 2021, we got a surprise album from Nas, um, you know, one of currency's most respected franchises, pilot talk, him and producer ski beats, you know, who's made classics with Jay-Z and Camp Lowe and some other people. Um, they put out, you know, a surprise fourth installment of, of pilot talk. But as far as 2022, it, it started off slow, which is no surprise. But in the last you know, week or so, things really heated up, you know. Yeah, you know? It's, it's always sleepy the first week or so. You know, I think people are recovering from the year, reflecting, reticent because they know that people are reengaging and getting back into work and stuff like that. 
But, um, you know, Friday was an active day. We had a new album from Corday, and I, I know we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. And some new music from J.I.D., which was super dope, in my opinion. Um, uh, that And it had 21 Savage. Um, by the way, I was thinking that 21 Savage needs to be part of Dreamville, man. Um, he makes great collaborations with those dudes. Obviously, him and Cole have got magic together. But I thought he and J.I.D. sounded good, too. And he raps, um, you know, I appreciate what he does on other songs, but he raps on songs with Dreamville and it's great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, we've seen that over the years, you know, like I think of, you know, 2 Chains and Kanye. I mean, 2 Chains was never a good music artist, as far as I understand, but he became like, you know, a, a super close affiliate. Um you know, we've seen other relationships like that in hip hop, but Dreamville has created another lane for 21 Savage where, you know, even publications like you and I, who might be fans of 21 on our own, but he's made the kind of hip hop and music that's merited strong coverage. And and let's not forget either. He got a Grammy off of, um, you know, a lot with J. Cole and that gave J. Cole his first Grammy, which is crazy. And, and we we spent a lot of time talking about that at the time. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Speaking of Grammys, um, disappointed that those are postponed indefinitely. I'm hearing that it might come up in March at some point. It was supposed to be in late January, I believe. Um, but yeah, um, very eager to hear who wins that best rap album. But um, one of the things that so one of the things that the Corday album sparked for you and me was a debate about this new crop of MCs and. You know, so the, everyone has talked about Kendrick and Cole and, and Drake and who's the greatest out of those three. And you can add in people like Travis Scott and you know, a couple other people. But in a lot of ways, that school is like a defined class. It's been around for a decade now. You know, I think that True Heads uh, at the at the latest probably started to catch on to Kendrick around 2011. Cole was probably like 2010 with the warm up somewhere around there. Um you know, Drake was 2009, so far gone. Like, these guys have been around for over a decade. So by no means are they new MCs anymore. And um, there's a whole class of people with them, from Big Sean to Logic to, um, you know, uh, we could go through the list. Yeah. Um, but to me, it seems like there is a new wave. There's a new wave of MCs, and all of a sudden there's a new class worth talking about. I kind of see this parallel in sports. Um, you know, you'll have like a six, seven year uh, run where there's like a certain amount of uh, a certain um, uh, set of players who are ones who are classified as the ones who are kind of running things in that particular sport. So, you know, for the last 10, 12 years, it's been like the Steph Curry's, the LeBron's, the Kevin Durant's, the the people like that. But now all of a sudden, you got the John Morant, you got the Donovan Mitchells, you got like a whole wave of players who've emerged over the last three to four years who are ready to take the mantle. You know, I'm not going to say they've taken the mantle yet because those dudes I named before are super nice, but there's a new crop of MCs that's paralleling that. So um, let's, let's kind of define who the last class was, um, the, you know, the, the last school, and then let's chop it up about this now school and, you know, talk about who we think is the leader of the now school. Want to do that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and to me, it's and those those classes can coexist just as they do in sports. But I think that, you know, there's a generation of people that 
you know, you and I have spoken a lot. I'll credit you with it of like, you know, your favorite MC at 14, your favorite MC at 18. Those are things you hold on to that you, you graduate with them through life. And, you know, in a five year gap, that's going to change. And you and I have gone to a lot of concerts together. We've gone to like things like the Roots Picnic and we've watched um, artists like Little Uzi Vert or Little Dicky that have come in with more fans than maybe we've even realized at the time. And you watch a festival, different crowds gravitate towards different stages. So I think the class you're speaking of, um, you know, the Kendrick Drake Cole class, I don't like using the word blog era because the blogs did cover and introduce a lot of these artists, but I think their staying power has gone far beyond what blogs were capable of. Um, but for the sake of, of the point, I think that it really kind of starts around 09, like you said, with Drake and it goes into, this is where you might have more insight than I do, but I'm going to say somewhere between 2013 and 2015. What about you? So I'm going to, I'm going to simplify. I'm going to try and simplify it. Um, I think that we should approach it as if these MCs came of age in the 2010s. Hmm. So, you know, they might have started in 08, 09, Kendrick, you know, probably, you know, these MCs all started way sooner than anyone, you know, kind of knew about who they were. But when people really took note, when they had their most commercial success and their most impact so far was the 2010s. Is that fair? Yeah, I like that. Okay. And I think that where we're going now, we're in 2022, because we've got a class of MCs who emerged likely in the 20 teens, but, you know, they were on their early grind and things like that during those times. And now in the 2020s is when they're about to come of age and take over this decade. Does that work? I like like that a lot. Okay, cool. So just quickly, you know, we don't have to get into it because these guys have been discussed and debated for years now, but let's name some of the, the, the the last class, that that, that 2010s class. Um, And we already hit on Cole, Kendrick, Drake, Logic, um, Big Sean, uh, Wale, Big Crit, one of our favorites. I was literally thinking about Crit today. He's always been a great, you know, friend uh, to Ambrosia. Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace. Rhapsody, um, Nicki Minaj, J-Rock, your boy Logic, Freddie Gibbs. (laughs) Who else? I think Meek Mill, um, you know, definitely belongs in that conversation. You know, it's, it's, I'll say his name because I think that it's it's you're wrong to exclude him, not you, but anyone. But I think Future and I know Future has a whole other direction beyond MCing, but there is an MC side to Future that belongs in the conversation. Um, I think I think Young Thug belongs in that as well. Um, also, I would say, you know, Tyler, the creator, Mac Miller, um, Joey Badass, Vic Mensa is an interesting one. I mean, Vic definitely came of age. His album sort of like Nip was later on than it should have been but he belongs in that class um i'm trying to think if we miss anyone else i mean really all chance, of the chance the rapper and chance and schoolboy q yeah and, and j-rock yeah 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 i think we got j-rock but yeah uh those dudes um super nice with it um have had absol absol we got to throw absol in there too um yeah. they've had tremendous impact over the last decade, I think really defined the era and you use the term. And so this is, you know, I think you use the term blog. So I think that it was a symbiotic relationship where um, these artists benefited tremendously from the coverage they got from so-called blogs, you know, not rise to dope boys on smash, 
um, you know, I would call Hip Hop DX more of a website, you know, XXL and so forth. But those publications also benefited tremendously from the amount of talent there and the void that was the gap that was there between radio and what was popping like online, you know, um, uh, radio is radio is ubiquitous and getting its coverage, but there was a whole crop of artists who were bubbling online that uh, were really kind of defining things. And I would say that these artists that we're talking about today, um, if anything, that medium for them is uh, DSPs. Um, so music services, uh, Apple music, Spotify title and so forth. I think that that's where that the, they start. It's not about huge. I mean, and I know that's a little different, but this is an era of artists literally on a whim deciding to upload their music and share it. You know, it could be a Friday, it could be a Tuesday, it could be Sunday morning. And yeah, there's a different level of self-empowerment and, and curation that goes into that. But yeah. yeah. And they don't, they don't need the publications. I mean, it helps, uh, but the, they don't need them. You know, we often talk about our Spotify playlist and our Spotify playlist is a, is a number one source of referral for a lot of artists uh, that, that are featured on there. So and we try and play in all those spaces to, to benefit the artists, but also tap into that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So before we get into now school, let's set up what the criteria is for the MCs that we're talking about. So our audience takes that word MC very, very seriously, as do we. Um, you know, and so we're really focusing on people who are doing traditional rap, so not melodic rap, um, people who tend to be a bit more lyrical. Um, you know, and really focused on, on, on substance. So no shade to any artists that we're excluding. It's just, they're different genres. And I think that's been captured really well now with the Grammys. You know, we talked about how they've kind of done a pretty good job at nominations over the last couple of years. I think that's because they've really surgically split up traditional rap and melodic rap. You know, um, a lot of, the 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 charting like big commercial music now is well i won't is it's bifurcated so on the melodic side you got little baby uh little dirt you got you know tons and tons of people on, on that level and i would even say young thug is more in that than and, and featuring people like that than on the the traditional rap side um but on the um on the traditional rap side, there's still spitters out there who are making waves too. Like the Kendrick's Coles and Drake's, I think all fit within that class. They'll dabble in the other things, but I think the vast majority of their music is is that, and they're also running radio. So I don't think that there's a, um, a distinction in commercial or commercial success or even critical success. But what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a fair framework and I know, I mean, and, and I, I encourage it. There's MCs in, in, in either class that we're not going to mention that deserve mention. Um, and I think we're highlighting this a lot through the scope of AFH and, and, and what we've covered. Um, but yeah, I, I think your criteria is dead on. And you think, though, that one gets more commercial or critical acclaim than the other commercial uh, traditional versus uh, melodic rap? Yeah, I mean, I think I think radio will always err on the side of melodic. And then once in a while you'll have a lyrical, you know, song um, that that pushes through and becomes kind of the poster child for what hip hop and rap always has been. And I think that's been the case even before melodic was was as frequent. Um, you know, even when it was still just R&B and rap collaborations, you had your your Jadakiss Wise and your Nas One Mics pushing through. But yeah, I, I mean, do you agree? I think melodic will always be 
what you tend to hear with with other platforms? My observation has been that um, in terms of quantity, you'll hear more melodic rap songs mm-hmm. um, and melodic rap artists like that. There's just much more coverage of them on radio. But in terms of impact, it tends to be the traditional rap artists that have the biggest impact. You know, J. Cole and Drake had the biggest rap albums last year. Would you agree with that? Like commercially? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's odd to me, though. So why is it that the, the, there's so much more coverage of melodic rap artists, but the traditional rap artists, when they drop, have the bigger impact? Kendrick, same thing. You know, uh, Kendrick drops, you know, even with Baby Keem, um, a lot of people consider Kendrick's verse the verse of the year. And, you know, that and he propelled Keem into the spotlight in a way that he'd never been before on his own. Um, so why do you think that is? It's wild. I mean, you know, there's always going to be, um, I, th- I think now, you know, the industry relied on numbers so heavily and now, you know, the J Cole numbers, the, Dr- the, the Kendrick numbers, um, even, even like a JID's numbers, they are huge to the point where there, there is a little bit of a balance. And I think that, you know, every fan of rap music always wants to have their their spitter, their hip hop album of the year, the one that they really go to the mat for, even if they don't, it's not popping on TikTok or it's not on radio or it's not all that. I, I think that those worlds have always coexisted. And I think the Baby Keem example is really good of now they're getting muddier and muddier. I mean, J. Cole's, you know, whole offseason album really plays with melody in a way that's interesting. And he doesn't he doesn't tuck back the lyricism either. So, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. I think Kendrick's been doing it too. I mean, and and Drake is the master at it. He's probably the best. And that's probably why he's the biggest commercially because he's, he really straddles both genres really well. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you want to get into like who the, um, okay. So we, we talked about not melodic rap. Um, Other criteria for this are body of work, we want to make sure that uh, that we're talking about people who've got at least a couple projects who have been out there and have made impact, uh, commercial success, claim, recognition, and then uh, I think most importantly, potential for longevity, because there are a lot of people who've come and gone and seemed like they were going to pop who didn't, um, and yeah, they had a great moment, but we're talking about like an enduring class. Um, so let, let's go through and talk about each one and, mm-hmm. and the merits and then and maybe like try and lock in on a, on a, on a seven. It might be we, we just can't do that. But let's start with J.I.D. Dreamville artist. Um, I had the pleasure. I've met him a couple of times. Um, I, I interviewed Sci High down at South by Southwest one year and J.I.D. was there for. Uh, another uh, event and I, can, I introduced those two artists and chopped it up with them for a minute then I, I saw JID again at the uh, all-star game in Charlotte back in like 2019 I think it was um, he is a phenomenal talent I mean he uh, um, he's, he's got a song working out which is probably my favorite song to drop that year mm-hmm. his, his lyrical ability I think is I don't think there's anybody who's nicer than he is. Literally, no one. I don't think Kendrick is nicer than he is. I don't think Cole is nicer than he is. Lyrically, he is an absolute monster. Um, Albums. He's got a few bodies of work out there. I would say the same critique that you just, you know, 
did for Meg, I would apply for him. And there's no album that stands out to me as like a, a classic. Uh, he's got, you know, I'm not saying the albums are bad, but there's nothing that like makes me remember going through and front to back and playing it multiple times. He's really kind of cherry, pick, cherry picking individual songs of the projects. He's part of a crew that's elite that I think makes him better in Dreamville with Loot and Boss and um, Earth, Earth Gang, Gang you, know, you know, and obviously Cole, um, Ari Lennox, like really incredible, incredible roster. Uh, he's been around now for five years or so. I mean, really kind of, he, he hasn't had a big commercial hit yet, right? There's, there's no song that's been commercially like huge for him. I would say that is that and the album are the two things that are the most challenging in terms of, um, you know, him being uh, declared a leader. But what do you think? So it's tricky. You know, one of the great misnomers of the world is and I, I looked at this this week. You and I had a conversation about J.I.D. and J.I.D. has more monthly Spotify listeners than J. Cole right now. But the 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 skew in that data is that one of his songs is with Imagine Dragons that's been used in a video game. So it has a whole second life. I do think Down Bad was a huge record, Grammy nominated, um, but it wasn't something, and I'm not listening to terrestrial radio like I did, you know, in the era before Bluetooth and, you know, DSPs. I didn't hear Down Bad a ton of places. I think it was licensed to a couple commercials or some films, but that was a that was a sizable record. And I know that was a compilation, but JID stole the show with it. Uh, him and him and Boss. Um, the album thing, I'll disagree with you a bit on. Um, the Never Story in 2017 was a really strong debut album, but 2017 was the year that Kendrick Lamar released "Damn" and pancaked everybody else. I mean, we don't remember things in 2017 like we do "Damn," you know. Um, but I thought as a debut album with just sheer lyricism, he didn't rely on catchy production or anything like that. Jaddy stepped up. DiCaprio 2 in 2019 was similar. And I, I, I classify that album like I've done with some of Isaiah Rashad's work. Not my personal favorite, but I've watched its impact around um, other people, especially folks that I feel like are, are five, 10 years behind me. And it held up. I think that J.I.D. is is a heavy, heavy hitter in here. And, you know, what he added to Revenge of the Dreamers 3, what he did with the Spillage Village album. Um, he's an incredible MC, and I'll, I'll leave one more anecdote with him. I first heard J.I.D., who had been kicking around for a while, but he was on Tony Touch's serious radio show, Toka Tuesdays. I'm out driving. And, you know, it was on 10, 10 11 at night. J.I.D.'s freestyle on that show was so good that I pulled over the car I think I got out a pen and pad or texted myself. I texted you like I haven't felt that way about a new artist um, in a really long time. And then within a week or two, it was announced that he was signed to Dreamville down with Interscope. And here we are. I do think he is um, cemented in this class. And I think that his best album is ahead of him. Um, he put out a single this week that we'll talk about, but 2022 could be a very, very definitive year for, for, for Jid, for JID. Yeah, no disagreement. Like I have them like squarely in my, my seven too. You know, I think we both do. Uh, I'm just stating what I think are the areas where he needs to improve in order to really be cemented, you know, and last there, you know, and ha us have people having this conversation in 2032 about yeah. him. 
you know. Um, all right, so JID, that's one down for both of us. Um, Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow, I think, is going to potentially be one of the biggest um, rap stars, period. Uh, I think he's already close to there. Uh, what's popping was gigantic, massive, massive single. Tyler Hero, not as big, but he just lyrically destroyed that song. Um, I think for both of us, um, uh, one of our, if not our favorite song on the stat- most recent Static Selector album was Time. He went berserk on that and really was introspective. His NPR uh, performance, Tiny Dust, showed that he could actually sing too, which I thought was scary because it could catapult him into Drake territory. And then um, he's had incredible features. So Little Nas X had incredible like um, impact on that with uh, Industry Baby. Uh, I think on the killer remix for Eminem uh, with him and Corday, he was the one who shined. He outshone both M and Corday. Um, and then, um, you know, so I think that this guy is really, really, really talented. And, and then also he had a great um, cipher uh, with Rhapsody, uh, you know, the F the Police beat. This guy, like, his, he plays in a lot of different categories. He does every single one well. He's likable, uh, super charismatic dude, um, and he spits in a deceptively complex way because he uses simple vocabulary and and and, um, and rhyme patterns, but his entendre and um, references and just honesty, I think, showcase why he is a, a cut above most other people. You combine that with the commercial success, and we can get into the, the race issues and things like that, but... I just think he's fire. And uh, if you listen to him, um, there's no question about his talent. It it would be very hard for me. And I think if we were not to put him on the list that come 2032, we look back on this, we'd be like, yo, what the hell were we thinking? Um, And I had a similar debate at one point um, around Rick Ross. I won't, won't talk about the venue, but like I argued for Rick Ross. And I think that most people will say this is like 2011 or so. Um, that 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 um that that Rick Ross's inclusion in top MCs of like the 21st century was it was a, a prudent thing. So I'm making that I'm I'm putting that flag in the in the, in the dirt for uh, Jack Harlow right now. I disagree with not a single thing you said. Um, I love the Rick Ross analogy. I'm curious, and and I don't know if you know the answer if that debate you had had before or after Teflon Don because I think that Jack Harlow needs an album that's reflective of his skills. And I think he plays in so many lanes. I mean, at this point, what does he put out? One, two projects. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we've gotten that branded project. I mean, it's the same criticism I'll use with Meg and I listen to those bodies of work. And I think if you go back to 2008, when Rick Rick Ross was two or three albums in same, same case we made had high highs, you know, played in a lot of different lanes, but didn't have that one body of work that I think was in the top 10 of the decade. I do think that Jack Harlow will deliver that. I would bet the ranch on it. And I think it will happen sooner than later. Um, I are, you know, I understand your argument that he could, that he belongs in this list. That is my only, you know, hesitancy. Well, that's what I, you know, that's what I was saying about JID. Like I think each one of these artists has a weakness and and this is going to dovetail in the conversation we'll have about Kumo D later. So no artist is like a perfect 10 in any category. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the, the commercial, the, the, uh, the um, 
you know, the, the lyricism, the acclaim that he's gotten and the potential for longevity are so high that it like tips the scale in his favor, including him on this list. But let, let's let's put a pin in this one. We'll come back to it. And, you know, let's go through these, these people and, and, and come back and do our kind of final list. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I um I'll, I'll go next up. I mean, Lutz, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, part of Dreamville. I think that in a lot of ways, Loot, um, up until very recently, up until October of 2021, was kind of like the stepson of Dreamville. Only in that, I mean, he had a prominent role on Revenge of the Dreamers, but doesn't get the kind of FaceTime and spotlight that JID, Earth Gang, Boss, um, you know, get. I, I think Cause is sort of the same as Loot. These, these are guys that make great music but are still kind of figuring their way in. And the sense that I get from Lou also is not a huge social media guy. Um, somebody who, you know, I first heard of in a meeting like 10 years ago, somebody being like, yo, keep your eye out, Charlotte. Charlotte's got something to say. Um, where I think Lou's strengths are um, two very, very strong bodies of work, two albums, plus the role in Revenge of the Dreamers 3. Um you know, but where he lacks is maybe some of that star power, some of that. Do you feel like, you know, this person off, off the mic, you know, Jack Harlow and Meg and some of these other folks make their presence felt their complete brands. I think by choice, Luke just kind of lets the music speak for itself. But what would you like to add? I would agree with that. I would say that Luke is one of two MCs on here that consistently just make me emotional. Like, like literally I hear their voice. And like, it just, it does something to me, like makes me, it takes me to a different place. As soon as he, his voice is so distinctive and so penetrating. Um, and the things he says are so honest and insightful that like he speaks to my soul in a way that most artists don't, you know? Um, and I agree with everything you said about him not being a huge personality. I don't know that I, I would, um, recognize loot right now you know i'd have to like you know go back and look um but in terms his voice though i i know immediately his rhyme style he's one of my favorite mcs period and i think holds his own with jid and j cole on dreamville uh he reminds me a lot of reason mm -hmm. uh for tde for the exact same reasons like um yeah i know exactly what reason looks like i you know interviewed him and like um studied him quite a bit but you know that mixtape he had um um was the free mixtape or um i can't remember what it's called uh but was incredible where every song just was he has such an a interesting perspective on life and such an honest lens same thing with the soul um you know, I think he does have stronger bodies of work than Luke does um or not I won't say stronger I'd say more successful um you know i think loose albums are both great and but i think that unless you were like really uh, ahead you might not have caught them whereas reason i think has transcended a little bit maybe because of tde pushing him a bit more than dreamville has pushed that push loop um but I, I put both both artists in that category um you know and so yeah um I don't know. Lute is a tough one for me. He's a tough one because I just don't, I, I love him. But I, just, I just don't think he has uh, the commercial success and the acclaim recognition part um, aside from the people in the know, like, 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 like ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's a valid point. I, um, 
you know, and those two projects are West 1996 Part 2, which came out in that same 2017, where I think a lot of people missed good music in the fanfare of Damn, deservedly so. And then recently Goldmouth, which came out in October and, and made our best of 21 list. Um, yeah, I mean, you and I agree on this. I, I don't know that I 100% agree on the reason thing, but I do think there's, um, they have similar roles within their movements. And it's funny that reason, and we'll talk about him in a minute, got a lot of love on Revenge of the Dreamers too. Yeah. Or Revenge of the Dreamers 3, 2, T-O-O. Yeah. Right, right, right. All right, so who you got next? Um, Russ, I, you know, I think that... Uh, what about Makami? Oh, we can we can do that. We can do yeah. that. You want to talk about Russ? Yeah, Makami is an interesting one because as we talk about Luke shunning the spotlight, I mean, Makami um, was down with Griselda in, you know, the, the early, mid-2000s. Um you know, went off on his own, really adhered to the val- to this principle of music has value and music should be made collectible. So a lot of his developmental work, you know, was pressed on CD, pressed on vinyl, made very, you know, sort of like what Nipsey Hussle did with Crenshaw, charged high amounts for it. And people ate it up. You know, I've spoken to some of our writers, some of my friends that have paid significant money for Makami's stuff, but he wasn't an artist that you could just find on the DSPs. No social media presence whatsoever um, has really kind of kept a cachet about him. I think that 2021 was the breakout year. Um, you know, he reunited with Griselda for at least one project, which made our year end best list, um, Pray for Haiti. And, you know, this is an artist who, despite keeping a low profile, will appear in photos with Dr. Dre, appear in photos with Jay-Z, um, be in Rick Rubin's you know, studio out in Malibu just has very clearly making power moves. And that gets a lot of credit. I mean, you know, in a way that I don't think loot or reason can, like there is now a media culture around Makami that covers his movement, even if he doesn't always participate in it. He just did an interview with GQ that I found really interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean, very, very talented MC. My, you know, has absolutely been a representative of a type of movement and culture that's going on in a way that is sort of like Griselda, but a step apart too. Um, you know, these, these MCs that are super didactic, that put in a lot of information, um, you know, kind of the Earl sweatshirt class. He's a very heavy player in that. I haven't heard his old catalog. I can say that, you know, I don't, I don't have the limited edition wax. I haven't heard some of his developmental work. I thought Pray for Haiti was a massive step in a huge direction. And he put out other albums last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're as much of a fan, if not more than I am. What would you add? Yeah, you know, I think that he's a type of artist who doesn't care if he's on this list. I don't think he needs it. You know, I think he is perfectly fine being who he is. And um, if you get it, you get it. And you really get it. If you don't, then it's your loss. And so um, I think that he thrives on being countercultural. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's stylistically like this, but in terms of his, the way he carries himself, I, I see some MF Doom in there, you know, uh, where he is like literally railing against the system and it almost would be uh, offensive to be put on a list like this. But I think that where he it's commercial success is I don't, I don't think he's ever going to have a tremendous amount of commercial success, but I think that his impact and people talking about him, I think people will be talking about him 10, 15 years from now. I think he, he checks out that box in a major way. Um, 
acclaim, recognition. I think it's hard for organizations like the Grammys and others to give you that kind of recognition without a certain uh, amount of commercial success. But um, I could see him being nominated uh, for songs like Self Love, you know, um, stuff like that uh, at some point. So I think he absolutely belongs in the conversation. Um, I think that the lack of commercial appeal would keep him off of a list like this ultimately. But um, yeah. yeah, he could. I mean, you, you, I agree with the Doom comparison, and they run in some of the same circles before Doom's passing. I see it as almost a J Electronica kind of trajectory um, where everything on your own terms, but you know, J Electronica got nominated for Grammy. Um, so yeah, you could see that, but we're saying the same thing. You know? Yeah. Yep. All right. So Russ, um, Russ is an interesting artist. Russ is another one who's built a pretty independent movement and he's done it in a way that is, has been kind of in the face of people. You know, he, he, he prides himself on how big he's gotten the success he's had with no, with, with no help. And in fact, quite a bit of hate. Um, there's always been a lot of hate directed to him. Um, cause he's pretty flamboyant about like, um, about who he is. And I think people think that he kind of jumped the gun before he earned that. Right. But um, what's your take on why the hate is directed at him? Because I've never really understood that. Do, do you think there's a race component involved too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's an image component. I mean, Russ is a guy that doesn't look like a rapper. You know, the long hair, the big earrings, the hoops, you know, you frequently like, you know, you and I recently covered Russ and we struggled to find an image that would resonate with our audience and trying to show people that might be skeptical why Chomp 2 is dope. Um, you know, that's Russ. And I, when but, he, what, so, but what does a, what is a rapper supposed to look like now though? I mean, you know, like maybe I in don't, the nineties there was like, you know, a uniform with a hat and like the baggy jeans and stuff like that. But nowadays there's so much diversity in hip hop. I don't know that we can say that, that a rapper's supposed to look a certain way. You're fair. And I don't sit around making that comment, but I'm putting myself in the estimation of others. And when I first learned about the Russ eight, um was when uh you know j cole had the conversation with what's my man's name in florida uh oh uh little little um yeah little uh but <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. yeah and he said j cole was like why'd you start on me and he was little, like oh, it wasn't a little little pump little pump yeah little pump yeah. thank you um and little pump said something to the effect of you know we used to hate on russ but now we we kind of moved it to this this kind of misdirected hate at J. Cole. I don't know why Russ gets it. You know, I listened to the Joe Budden podcast and for years, Joe Budden accused Russ of being a plant. I believe his father is a prominent record exec. Um, Russ, you know, has said like, I've done it all myself, but some of his albums, some of his singles have been released through Sony Columbia. Um, Those sorts of things, you know, and, and we've seen this with Chance the Rapper too, you know, Chance is Mr. Independence, but has partnerships and strategic deals in place I think Macklemore is a comparison. And I wanted to stay away from it because of the race thing, but like um, similar and that he claims independence, but he's got major affiliations, shall we say. Yeah, major distribution and all of that. Exactly. And, you know, I don't want to sit and play the violin for white MCs. um, And I don't, but but at a time when we are starting to evaluate, um, you know, cultural appropriation, I think that, yeah, I mean, Russ 
fall in, fell into some of that too. It's a culmination of those things. Um, but anyway, continue. Well, I would say that um, no matter what people think of him, his body of work speaks for itself. If, I've, I've been listening to Chomp too a lot in this last week or so with the, the lull in the music. And dude, I listened to our playlist yesterday. That dude holds his own on every song with the best MCs out right now. He is a dope lyricist. You know, people like doubt him, doubt his talent. Okay, cool. I'm a rap. I'm a wrap my ass off with all your favorite rappers. And in some cases, I'm going to outwrap them. And in, in no case am I ever going to get like, you know, burned on my own track. Like the dude has really, really got uh, talent. I would say commercial success. I think it de- depends on what the definition of commercial success is. He's not got like a lot of strong radio play. But he does do well on streaming services, um, and he you know, sells out major venues and things like that. So a number of that, gold platinum albums. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I think that's there. Um, I think there's an argument. I think there's an argument. There absolutely is, and I mean, you know, Russ is an MC and a producer. Um, you know, produces his own stuff. He, you know, one of the reasons why I said it was important we mentioned SoundCloud. Russ released a song a week for, you know. Um, I think it was 2017 or 2018 and whether or not, you know, he has relatives or whether or not he was fully independent or whether or not, you know, he looks like what a quote unquote rapper should, he did it, you know, and I think it's really cool. And and one of the reasons you and I celebrated Chomp too so much is an artist with that doesn't need um, the spotlight takes a moment to celebrate the hip hop that he or she loves. And also some of the MCs, like where else are you going to see, um, Papoose or Rome Streets on an album that is reaching millions upon millions upon people right now. And and Russ did that. And I think that that deserves recognition. And one thing I said to you in a text message recently, my favorite songs on Chomp 2 are the ones where Russ has no guests. Because when we put him in our year end of 2021, a lot of people accused that album of relying on A-list production and A-list guests. And you can make that argument. I'm a fan of hip hop, you know, for for damn near 30 years. Um, and I think that Russ shined his greatest when it was just him. Of course. And everybody wants A-list production. Like that's, yeah. you know, um, you know, he's got um, Styles P, Crit, um, Con- the Griselda guys, uh, you know, and, and you know, Alchemist, Alchemist um, produces, this Primo produced too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the album is, is crazy. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, but, you know, I, I must confess, I haven't listened to any of his music before, like the whole bodies of work. So uh, ah. that's my <laughs> point. That's my point. Like, but but I respected his movement from afar. Yeah. I think during the, the button criticisms, because it made me pay attention to the fact this guy had achieved that level of success. And I know how difficult it is. And so I was curious about his story. Uh, I think he had a couple freestyles that I checked out back then too. But yeah, um, put him on the site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So who, who's next? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll mention you know Yod Yerol Drug, um, who's who's a bit of an anomaly in this class. And you know, I put him in that preliminary list of seven. Um, Drug, you know, had been kicking around the New York underground in the early part of the 2000 teens, right in the middle part you know, gets this awareness, um, you know, we covered it on the site, people had a theory that this kind of raspy voice, really nimble MC could be an alter ego of Nas. Drew at that point, you know, hadn't really showed his face on a big level. He does that, he comes out, 
Um, and in a way, I think that was a great promo boost, but I also think it was a gift and a curse um, because he had all of that attention. But what I think Drew did with it is so interesting. He's put out definitely three, but three to five really incredible bodies of work. In back-to-back years, he made our uh, year-end list with some of these albums, worked with Doom, worked with Elzai, worked with Blue, Aesop Rock, you know, a number of high-profile peers and really has held his own. Um, but you know, independent artists, completely independent, doesn't get the push that a lot of these other artists, even that we've spoken about thus far, get. Um, and I think that, and also Droog is is polarizing. Um, you know, he's quick to use social media to make fun of a lot of publications, make fun of some of his well-heeled peers, you know, and that can be stifling. And I think that Droog is, you know, a bit of a Vincent Van Gogh is like a super talented, incredible MC, but he's bumping his head on a ceiling. And I don't know if that ceiling exists because he's independent or because of, you know, other, other factors, but um, I, I'm really, you added him to this list and I, I went with it. I think that he definitely deserves mention. Is there anything that you would want to add there? No, I, I think it's the same thing as with, with Makami and, and, you know, obviously they're closely affiliated. I think Drew doesn't care. You know, I think Drew is very secure in who he is as an artist. Um, those who get it, cool. Those who don't, whatever. He's always shown us love, you know, a um, lot, lot of respect. And I think it's because we, we show him respect and love, too. Um, you know, and I think he understands these lists are what they are. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't affect anything. So, yeah. Um, so Nick Rant. And so Nick Rant, one of our favorites, um, really started to come to prominence with some critical freestyles on Sway in the Morning. Um, it was brought to um, kind of the music world by Jason Jeter, you know, who was the guy who um, was manager for TI and brought Travis Scott, like a real incredible um, um, seeker of talent. Nick is one of those guys who I think we both loved for a long time, um, has not really popped the way we thought he would. And I think maybe it's because he hasn't had album, hasn't hasn't had that album. He's got more of a low key personality, but when he gets on the track, like his flow is impeccable. Uh, the things he says are incredible. His rhyme rhyme scheme is is amazing. But um, yeah, I think that the lack of commercial success would, would would keep him off out of out of the top seven. Yeah, I completely agree. I heard grumblings that he's running with TDE now. You know, somebody had reported that. Um, he put out a really cool, you know, EP last year It was, you know, self-released, um, you know, he was a major label artist for a time. And I think Nick Grant is another artist that's best days are ahead of him, but he definitely needs that, that spotlight and to pick a definitive lane for himself. But everything you just said, I agree with, um, you know, I'll do Boldy James, you know, Detroit, Michigan MC have been, you know, kicking around for quite a while, got a lot of noise when he signed with Mass Appeal. Um, it was at a time when, you know, Nas took a majority, you know, took, how do I say? Nas Equity, became, he became an owner, a stakeholder in Mass Appeal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Nas also kind of became the face of Mass Appeal. And there was a first round of artists that Nas had like branded to bring into the company that was previously known as Decon. And Boldy was one of them. And what's been interesting to me is, um, you know, Boldy's best work wasn't at that moment. You know, he right at the front released an album with Alchemist, um, you know, made a series of mixtapes. Boldy has always been prolific, but it's really been the last two or three years that he's come into his own. And 
you know, Boldy is hard nosed. Like it's, it's wrapped. It feels like Northern Michigan. Like it's, it's cold. It's gritty. It's street tested. He always finds really interesting production, whether you're talking about an alchemist or an evidence or a Jay Versace. Um, but, you know, I think that similarly to Nick Grant, you know, Boldy has done what he's done, had some great albums, but not necessarily pushed all the way over the top. Um, and I do think that that's possible. You know, he signed uh, with Griselda for at least one album that he already put out, the Versace tapes. Um, and that was great to see this artist get the attention. But I think he really needs um, that definitive one. And, and some could easily argue that it's already out there. It just didn't get the shine that it deserved. Yeah, I, I think there's some artists that are never going to be huge, like uh, commercial stars. And, and that's fine. That's not what they're looking for. It was like a rock Marciano. And, you know, um, there are lots of artists who kind of fit that lane. Um, I think Bold is there. I, I, I love your Steve Young comparison because in some ways, you know, he's had, like I said, he's been around for a long time. But his, his uh, surge came, I think, like maybe two, three years ago when he started releasing lots of projects, uh, working with people like Alchemist and Griselda and um, the last two, three years, he's constantly had one of my favorite projects of the year, if not a couple in that year. And, you know, but I think that the, the, the commercial success would keep him off that, like kind of like leaders of the now school kind of top seven. Um, so Corday, big one, you know, uh, so Corday is a guy who, with his last album, um, uh, I'm from, um, blanking on what it was called. Uh, the, the, the Lost Boy. The Lost yeah. Boy. With The Lost Boy, um, that was one of my favorite albums that year. Uh, and like he kind of burst onto the scene in a way that I hadn't seen with, with uh, and, you know, and obviously he had his YBN days, and, uh, you know, but like when he went solo, he brought a new sound and um new lyrical style and talked about different things in a way that i think elevated him to like um superstar status you know and i put him on the map of people like eminem and got him his label deal and um, has made him like a household name i think that he checks off every single box in terms of commercial impact um you know critical acclaim uh, longevity, body of work. I, I think that he's there. Like I, I would put him top seven for sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And, and the Lost Boy, you know, made our 2019 list of best albums. Um, it was one of my favorites, and I think a lot of people, um, you know, I think this may have happened with Sci High, The Prince. It may have happened um, with Schoolboy Q. But there's a lot of people I think that are hip hop fans that hear of a lot of new artists and maybe judge them by their names. And at the time, YBN Corday just sounded like, you know, something else. And obviously other YBN guys were making totally different music, but he really proved himself. Um, I think to hardcore hip hop fans or to heads. Um, and then he followed it up, you know, this last week with from a bird's eye view and similar to the point I made about Russ, my favorite songs on this album, my favorite songs that Corday has done are solo songs. I mean, he had a great Grammy-nominated record with Chance, of course, but he really holds his own. And that's, you know, on an album that has Eminem on it um, or Freddie Gibbs or some other, you know, big names, that says a lot. Um, and he really continues, I think, to bring a lot of people um, from the mainstream into 
the hip hop that we love. I think that was true of Logic. I think that's true of J. Cole. I think that's true of a lot of these artists. But I am I am absolutely certain for me that Corday is part of this list. And the first two weeks of 2022 are, are a big reminder of that. And he straddles that list quite a bit too. You know, the, uh, uh, the line, I should say, between traditional rap and melodic rap. Yes. This album, more so, I think there was more traditional rap on the last album than there was this current album, which is why I gravitated toward that album more than this one. But he does it well, and I think it's smart because it will lead to the greater commercial success that you see with the Drake and why Cole is moving that direction, and to your point, Kendrick, too. So, Bacorde, absolutely. Um, Megan Thee Stallion, 300 artists, uh, 300 just sold to uh, Warner for $400 million, like Kevin and Lior, Kevin Lyles and Lior Cohen, like just undefeated with this, you know, in terms of Def Jam and spotting artists like Migos and Young Thug and, you know, and Gunna and, Gunna and who's amazing and Megan. Um, Megan, to your point, has not had an album that I think people would consider classic, but I don't know. Like there's some people who might consider her albums classic, especially uh, women. I think that what she's done from a female empowerment movement is incredible. Uh, I put up there with Lizzo and Cardi in, in that movement. Um, I think she can spit and, you know, she's got incredible songs with Beyonce. I mean, she is a giant in, in this industry now. And I think we'd be remiss not to include her on this list. Um, if anything, I would say that she's not as technically lyrical as some of the artists here. Um, it's a, it's a more down South kind of like flow. Um, so a little bit, it's a matter of taste. Yeah, more simplistic. Uh, more, I think it's more simplistic. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just more simplistic than like a Makami or a JID or something like that. She's not. She's not rapping like that, you know. And uh, and J and to your point, JID is Southern and, and Jack Harlow too. So it's not a regional thing. It's a. It's more of a stylistic thing. And so, um, but I'm not mad at that. You know, I love Melly Mel. one of my favorite rappers, and um, there are a lot of rappers out there. Um, Devin, a dude who are very simplistic who still say dope stuff, you know? So to me, she's on, she should be on the list, but you disagree. Yeah. I mean, and as we work through this, uh, I'm not changing my tune on this one, but, but Meg, I think she's the closest thing to UGK since big crit. And I mean, obviously Bun B continues. He put out music already this year, but when I listen to Meg, I listen to dirty money era UGK. I mean, a little bit of pimp and a little bit of bun and she keeps that tradition alive like a lot of these artists, I really came to appreciate Meg through a freestyle. Um, I think it was L.A. Leakers where she did, she rapped to Tupac's Hit Him Up and took a song that I often skip over in my age and made me just flip out. Um, she's doing a lot with it, but she needs a classic. And, and I could even argue that, um, you know, Cardi B has a fuller body of work at this point, not to compare women to women, but to choose that lane than Meg. Meg. Meg writes her own rhymes. I, I think she's great, but I I think that she needs an album that competes on the other level with some of these names that we're mentioning. That's just my take. So since you brought up Cardi, uh, uh, I'd say uh, I'll, I'll cover her next. So Cardi, um, to your point, does not write all of her rhymes. And, you know, she's never hidden that. But the songs that she's picked have been incredible. Her first album was very 
strong woman empowerment um, uh, album. And I think that she explores all sorts of things like, you know, what it's like to be a woman in this um, deeply misogynistic industry. She talks about like, um, you know, becoming a mother. Um, She really, but also being, you know, sexual and, and empowered. Like she's really, I think a dynamic voice for women. Um, and because of who she is both on the mic and off the mic, we've talked about how some of these MCs might not ever make the list because they are a, a bit too just um, one dimensional in terms of being music. She's multidimensional. Um, great actress, you know, comedian, social media. Uh, she like does it all. And I think it only serves to elevate what she does and says within her music. So for me, like she's one of the most important voices in hip hop in the last 10 years. And I think we'd be remiss not to put her on this list as a, a leader of the now school. It's tricky. I mean, in a way she absolutely is a leader of the now school and has been, but you know, we're, we're, we're keeping melodic artists off of here um, or we're looking within the framework of hip hop and Cardi's done that. I mean, Bodak Yellow was that. Um, my favorite song she's put out is uh, the Get Up 10, the first song from Invasion of Privacy, which even if she didn't write it, tells her story really well. But, you know, from what I understand, it's even different than, than a, a, a Drake or a Snoop. I don't, from what I've heard, I don't think Cardi writes much of her work at all. And to me, that's going to be a huge detractor when we're looking at this through the lens of hip hop. Um, absolutely agree with everything you said in terms of driving culture, in terms of being multidimensional, charismatic, making great single records. And I think Invasion of Privacy was a really strong debut. And I think one that I would like to see something of that substance from Meg. From I'd like to see something of that substance from Jack Harlow. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant. She wasn't in my seven that you asked. I understand that can be a glaring omission. But as a hip hop purist, eh, I don't know. Would you put Dr. Dre in a list of the top MCs of the 90s? No, I don't think so. Um, And it's crazy, too, because, you know, Dre's some of his verses are verses that you and I both know by heart. If if I had a gun to my head and I had to do hip hop karaoke uh, and not screw up anything, it might be a Dre verse like those are etched in culture. But I'm not seeing Dre in a top MCs list of the 90s, even if it's top 10 or top 15. I'm sorry. All right. Well, you're consistent and and uh, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> being curious. <laughs> cool. Okay. Uh, so Reason, you know, talked about him before. I had the pleasure of interviewing him. Um, really fantastic. If you get, get a chance, go back. The noise is terrible. We're in this hotel Um restaurant area and there's like dishes and like silverware clinking and stuff like that but the dude has so much to say and he's a guy who uh you know he'll say stuff like uh karma is harder than calculus you know uh you know he just he says things that make that make you think about life in a whole different way it's so clever um you know incredible mc i think that he's similar to loot in that you know, he, he's not a guy who makes a lot of noise. Um, you know, part of that's the TDE way. A lot of those guys are, are very uh, quiet about things. Um, and so, but I think that Reason's best work is ahead of him. He's had great work, but I think his most commercial success is ahead of him. 
So, um, but I think it might be a little early for him on the list, as much as, as important as, to me as he is as an MC. That's very well said. I mean, Reason has, of all of these artists, maybe with the exception of J.I.D., I think Reason has my favorite voice. Um, I love his delivery, his timing. Um, you know, he kind of raps a little bit like Benny sometimes, where he has this ability of, of kicking things with such emphasis that they really stick to your mental. I mean, the fact that you pulled that lyric out, you know, is a testament to that. And, you know, his, um, those, that first string of singles, you know, the, the, the soul and better days was absolutely incredible. I do agree with you. I think it's a little bit early. I believe the reason is among this consideration for a reason. Um, no pun intended. I, I thought there you have, it was interesting, but you and I disagreed a little bit on new beginnings, um, which was his 2020 album. And it was, it was a short one, but um, definitely one to watch. And especially as TDE kind of shifts its personnel without Kendrick after this next album, I'll level with you that I'm most excited for reason after that, you know, to see what he's going to do next. All respect due to J rock, all respect due to Q and Ab and sir and everyone else. But uh, reasons time is coming. Yeah. Okay. So you want to talk about Isaiah Rashad? Yeah. I mean, Isaiah is another one. One could argue that, you know, he belonged in the um, the other list, but I, I see it a little differently. I mean, Isaiah, in a way, I mean, shout out to, to TDE's foresight. He came out of basically nowhere. I mean, and that's not to say Chattanooga, Tennessee, but he wasn't an artist that was, you know, featured a number of places to get his time. TDE expanded at that point in the mid 2000s teens. You know, their artists, with the exception of SZA, had been from Southern California. So they bring out, you know, they bring out Isaiah and very quickly, you know, put out the Sylvia demo. Um, And, you know, he makes his marks and he's become a favorite of a lot of my respected peers. And, you know, follow that up. I mean, more than a lot of these artists on the list, he's three albums deep because then he put out the Sun's tirade in 2016, which had one of my all-time favorite songs, What's Wrong with Kendrick Lamar and Zakari. Um, Kendrick's verse, insane on that, one of his absolute best. And then last year with The House is Burning, um, which is an album that I think, you know, I've continued to listen to it. I always ask people, you know, what their best of the year is. And I've spoken to three or four people that named that album as their best of 2021 that knew a lot about hip hop and followed the culture closely. And while that one might not have resonated with you or I or AFH at the time, um, and we do have a joint on our playlist, I keep coming back to it. And Isaiah, I mean, you got to look, this is a guy who's not from a major city, uh, Chattanooga before him, you know, relatively unknown. He hasn't deviated from who he is kind of a smoked out introspective artist, um, you know, writes a lot about what's going on in his mind and in his life in a really original way. I don't think he's had, you know, um, hit making production. You know, he's kind of existed like a loot beyond radio, but he still has become in part because of, you know, TD's championship run, he's become a favorite, um, you know, among a whole, a whole generation of listeners. So anything you would like to add to that? Yeah. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about, with any of these artists is their stage presence. And Isaiah, I saw perform at Music Matters, showcase itself by Southwest for BET back in 2014 or so. And he had one of the most penetrating voices of any MC I've ever heard live. It just like went straight through you. And as you said earlier, 
he's an artist whose music grows on you over time. You know, I really like the last album. Uh, I don't think that a lot of it fits AFH, but I really like the album as a body of work. Sun's Tirade had, uh, you know, one of my favorite Kendrick verses of all time. Um, I think it's What's Wrong. Uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, his Black Hippie remix of um, I Shot You Down, incredible. Like Isaiah has great work. And uh, I think he doesn't have an extent, as, as extensive a, a catalog as he could. But I think that there's a strong argument for him. I think that I would put him below like a Megan and a, a Cardi just because of their commercial impact and what they mean to women generally, too. Um, and so uh, but but, yeah, I, I think there's a strong argument for him, too. If I didn't have the two of them on there, Isaiah would, would probably be on there for me. Yeah, he was on my list. And, and that's a tricky one. And honestly, I mean, my personal list wouldn't include him, but I, I have to be objective and look at what he's accomplished. But that will, like you said, we'll revisit. Um, I'll include the baby, you know, another another Charlotte, you know, North Carolina artist has done a ton. I think the baby has brought in a flow, you know, sort of like what Migos did five or six years ago, that, you know, people will literally call it the baby flow. And as you and I covered on the site, there was a lot of substance to his music, um, you know, right away. And he's, he rapped from a, a very real place and put a lot of his heart and soul into things. Um, I think he absolutely deserves to be in consideration here, but I don't know that he's delivered um, a definitive body of work, even compared to some of the others within the lens that we're talking about. If you want to just talk about, you know, from a, uh, a melodic and a commercial absolutely but i think within the lens that, that you kind of established we both did i don't know that he makes the little but, but what would you like to add yeah i don't think he makes a cut just because of the style you know that that's one um i think the style is is more melodic than traditional rap um and which is why you know um i never really gravitated toward his music as much um though I respected like the movement that he built. And then also obviously given the recent events with his, you know, homophobic remarks, I'm not sure he'll recover. Uh, you know, I'm not sure he'll recover for that. So, you know, I think that, um, but, but I think that just from a musical standpoint, he doesn't fit the, the lens of, of this list for us. Mm -hmm. I think that's very well said. And, you know, I think in the interest of time, I mean, and we'll, we can talk individually, but why don't we lump Griselda together? You know. Well, let's touch on one artist too, who I think we'd be. Uh, it would be we, we. It would be a huge miss for us not to talk about, but potentially the biggest artist of the last four to five years is now Little Baby. Like that mm -hmm. artist, uh, you know, he is he is ascended in the last year, especially in a way like I haven't seen in a long, long time. I mean, everybody's got him on his from Cole to like you know he's on all these albums of artists that um, are more traditional. Uh, he's kind of like that go-to person for them when they want to bring in someone who's melodic. Uh, I think it's because of his lyrical substance. You know, he talks about really uh, deep, introspective things. He talks about like, um, you know, uh, current events like Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. He's a real profound artist but distinctly melodic. And so I don't think he fits this, but, you know, I think the movement that he's built is respectful, but yeah. So Griselda as a unit, you want to go? Yeah. And, and, and absolutely. And I, I'm glad you included that with little baby. I mean, Griselda to talk about them three individually um, 
so much of what they've accomplished has been as a unit. You know, uh, I think bringing uh, kind of a battle rap delivery um, back to the forefront, as well as the content of, you know, hoodie rap, you know, of of a type of gangster rap that I think existed with Wu-Tang and some of the Gangstar Foundation um, that's that's back at the forefront. And these guys, you know, established their own lane entirely. I mean, shout out to Derringer and Alchemist. They kind of came in with their own production style of rapping over really dusty loops about grim, grim environments. You know, all three are from Buffalo, New York, but have uh, lived and, and maneuvered all over. And there's a it's just a, a bit of a contemporary take on mid 90s East Coast hardcore hip hop. And you and I have spent a lot of time both on the site and through this podcast covering um, with the fact that, you know, Benny Gunn and Conway have, you know, without deviating, run out and got a Shady Records deal, you know, put out a group album. Uh, Conway's album is in the talk for early this year. You and I got a chance to hear an early iteration of it. Um, Gunn put out an album, you know, Benny goes and, and does joints with Hit Boy. They go get a Rock Nation uh, management deal. Like they clearly have done what I feel like so many hip hop heads wanted for so long. You mentioned a Rock Marciano earlier. Like, you know, you can't tell me in 2010 that we didn't want the love that, you know, Marksburg got to, you know, we wanted that kind of love for that project that Griselda's gotten. And these guys have done it just by being their own biggest cheerleaders by not deviating, not tucking their style, and they've truly maneuvered culture. And I put all three of them in because I think it, you know, um, I think I think artistically, you know, especially when you look at bodies of work, Benny's out front. Um, I think Gunn is, is, is right there, and Gunn has really helped kind of cement the aesthetic. Conway's made great work. I think Conway shies away from the spotlight a little bit more than the other two, but I think that, you know, you couldn't not include Conway in this list and especially, you know, hearing what he's about to drop. Um, and I can't imagine it's going to change that much. This, all three of these guys, a hundred percent belong. So I think that they have different lanes. Uh, so, so gun is, I think the, the biggest showman of the group. He has a flair about him in terms of his style, his clothing, uh, his vocals even that I think is puts him over the top and super distinctive. The second you hear his voice, you know who he is. Uh, he's got a, a tag, like the whole vocal tag, the whole nine. Uh, Benny, I think, is probably the most polished of the three as an MC, And I think the one who is poised to have the most commercial success, um, to your point, Burden of Proof, was almost like a major label album. And now with the Def Jam signing, I think that he's well on his way for that. I think Conway might be the Ross of the three MCs uh, in terms of what he'll discuss and the way he discusses it. So I think they, they uh, all are incredibly talented, but, but, but manifest that in different ways. And there's a powerful argument. And I got a, I got a thought that, you know, at the end of this, where I, th- I think we'll, we'll, we'll reach some common ground here. But before we get to that, let's get to um, Westside Boogie. Boogie's an artist we were both very excited about when his last album dropped. Uh, it was a project with Eminem. We had the pleasure of interviewing him also. Really, really profound MC. Um, you know, very technical. Um, but, you know, can simplistically convey very complex ideas and emotions. 
uh, you know, I think he stalled in a way that I didn't anticipate. That album didn't do well commercially at all. And so I think that that, that holds him back. But he's recently had some pretty good um, appearances. He's got a really great feature on the, um, the D-Smoke album, which is great, you know, and, and he pops up somewhere else too. Um, he's, he, I think he's still, I think he could have a resurgence. I think he's got a Boldy James uh, second act in him, you know, so, so we'll see, but, but definitely not for the list right now. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'll, I'll give a shout out and, 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 you know, Boogie is melodic and there's another artist from that same kind of region, you know, Boogie's from Long Beach and kind of raised in Compton. And then you have Buddy, um, who put out one of my favorite albums the last five years with uh, Harlan and Alondra and shout out to, you know, our teammate, Amanda Mester, who really put me on the game and Trouble on Central, I mean, is one of my favorite records, but even that is a great testimony because it, you know, is, it kind of reminds me a little bit of early Nate Dog, where, you know, he's melodic, but approaches it like a rapper. And I love that album. And it got a lot of, it got a lot of recognition and props, but you know, that was, that was three years ago and, and Buddy's put out some music since then. And I don't think that it's resonated quite that, quite that way. Um, but I'm really, especially you mentioned at the top, you know, an RCA artist and RCA is one of the most exciting labels of right now because it allows talented artists to be themselves, but kind of creates a pathway for them to expand and grow. And I totally think he has a great follow-up in him, but we haven't received it yet. And, and one great album that is only partially rapping based on the confines that we established that that can be a little bit limiting. Yeah. Now I consider him primarily singing and that album was one of my favorites that year It's actually, you know, a follow-up to his first, he was first signed with Pharrell. And um, I think that, you know, he, it's possible he's, we've seen his best work already. Most, uh, most artists only have like one great album in them. That's the that's like 99% of artists. It's really transcendent to go beyond that and have multiples. Um, and if that's the case, then he put out one of the best albums of the 2010s and I'm not mad at that, but yeah, definitely melodic for me. And last is, uh, but not least is Saba, uh, Chicago artist down with like, um, uh, Chance and Vic Mensa and that whole movement. No name, um, yeah. Yeah, really, really uh, incredible artists. Uh, you know, similar to a lot of people we discuss, kind of hovered, you know, at one level in terms of like commercial success and has established a lot of respect um, amongst the people who know him, but it hasn't had that kind of breakout that that some of the artists we've discussed has. But anything you want to add on him? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I mean, he's been heavily, heavily independent, strictly on his own terms, you know, put out an album in 2016, Bucket List Project, and then an album. And we, we were ground floor supporters of that, as well as 2018's Care For Me, which was, you know, really um, personal, introspective, vulnerable album. Just last week, you know, he put out a joint with Crazy Bone called Come My Way, which I really enjoyed. I texted it to you. Um, you know, uh, Saba's third album is supposed to drop around Valentine's Day, February 14th. So 2022 could be a really definitive year for him. Um, and he's a young guy, just like Corday. So worthy of mention. But I think that, you know, this conversation might be a little bit different a year from now. So I think I have a solve. Okay. And, um yeah, we start off with seven, which is a completely random number. Um, and we, dis we disagreed on three. Um, and so if you add in that three, and I can definitely live with the three you wanted to add to, uh, it, it comes in nicely at 10. 
So I think if we talk about the the top 10 MCs of the now school, that's what we have. And and by my count, you keep me honest here, that's J.I.D., Jack Harlow, Corday, Meg Thee Stallion, Cardi B, Isaiah Rashad, Westside Gun, Benny the Butcher, Conway the Machine. And did I miss one? You had uh, one. Yeah. Did I miss um is it you gonna go with Russ or your old Drew? That was on my list. I would go with personally, I would go with with, with Drew because Drew accounts for not only himself, but also for Makami. I think he represents that, you know, uh, having kind of introduced him to the world in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think he represents an important part of this movement that that should be reflected on a list like ours mm-hmm. even even if like you wouldn't care about it like I, I think it should be um that would be my 10 but but what do you say yeah i mean i really really i like that and and i thought you were gonna lump griselda together and come with five i i like that you know i still it's hard not to give cardi her flowers that mc thing you know i really kind of stick to that point i i feel bad about not giving it to luke because on one hand, we're including Droog, who is responsible for so much culture. You and I, you know, have been so excited by the music Lute has made, not just on one album, but really over two albums and his compilation work on Revenge of the Dreamers. Me personally, I, I'd love to see him on this list and I'd probably give him Cardi's spot. And I can find a way to reframe the discussion to give Cardi all the flowers that she deserves. And AFH as a publication has done that. But that's just my two cents. But I like this list, Reggie. And I think that 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 10 is a really, really good one. And it reflects your taste, my taste, but also the taste of, of, I think what AFH represents. So if we're going to go MCs and we talked about MCs and what that word means, I would get clowns um, <laughs> to put Cardi on and not, and, and, and not put loot on. Uh, so loot is one of my favorite MCs period. So I'm not mad at in doing that. I think that, Megan reflects a lot of what Cardi does in terms of like, um, you know, what she means to women and what she brings to the table. And to your point, it's her words, we think. Right. Uh, Are you certain that Meg writes for herself? I wouldn't I wouldn't bring that up on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I have a pretty, pretty good idea. And to watch her freestyle and watch her carry herself. I mean, Meg, Meg gives me that impression. And I'm not I'm not sitting here just to 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 knock Cardi down either. But there is a distinction there, in my opinion. Okay, so loot it is then. So Jaddy, Jack Harlow, loot, your old Drew, Corday, Meg the Stallion, Isaiah Rashad, West Side Gun, Benny the Butcher, Conway the Machine. There we go. Top ten MCs of the now school. All right, uh, let that let the debate begin. Um, definitely want to hear what people got to say on that one. Um, quickly. Uh, it dovetails into something that we saw with Kumo D. Uh, he had some report cards. I think those were originally for Ego Trip books. Um, um, Great. Uh, I mean, so shout out to Ego Trip because, yeah. and my favorite thing of this is it gives attention to one of the most important texts uh, ever created in, in, in hip hop. And Ego Trip is one of the reasons why I do what I do. I, you know, shout out to all those all those guys involved, you know, Sasha, Elliot, Gabriel, Noah, uh, Brent, and and Jefferson, Jeff, Chairman Mao, 
Um, I don't think I forgot anyone, but they in 1999 put out a rap book, Ego Trips Book of Rap List. I never knew this, but in Cole Modi's How You Like Me Now album, the insert included a rap report card back in 87 that had him going, you know, grading all of his peers, including LL Cool J, which he had a rival rivalry with at the time that went several years beyond that. Ego Trip in 99 gets him to do a new rap report card which here in 2022 circulated on the internet. So just to provide some framework. Word, that's, that's dope. That's dope history. Uh, and so, and just so people know, Kumo D was a very important MC back in the eighties, um, was originally part of Tetris three. Uh, a lot of people first saw him on beat street. I don't know if anyone has saw beat street. There's this scene where uh, the Christmas rap and they got the three Santas rapping and Kumo D is one of those three uh, from the Tetris three. Um, you know, obviously had a great solo career with songs like Wild Wild West for the, the movie. Probably the best thing about the movie was that song and um, songs like Go See the Doctor and How You Like Me Now is diss of LL Cool J and obviously had that LL feud that you talked about. So um, it's cool that uh, he act, so he he, he uh, graded MCs in the 80s and of those he gave um, top marks to himself, Grandmaster Kaz and Melly Mel. Each of them had uh, an A plus, uh, and then uh, he gave uh, he gave, but he gave A's to Rakim, KRS, and LL. Uh, LL was incredible that you know since he did have beef that he even gave him an A. But like LL was arguably the that had the biggest impact of any solo MC in the in the eighties, and Rakim is you know and KRS are like beloved to this day. So I think those were misses. He also gave B's to Run DMC and Public Enemy, which is bananas to me because, you know, you think about the impact those artists had. Um, You know, the criteria that he had, just so people understand, was vocabulary, articulation, creativity, originality, versatility, voice, records, stage presence, sticking to themes and innovating rhymes. And when you think about Public Enemy and Run DMC, like I can't see any category where they don't like have at least a nine so um, that one's a head scratcher to me and the other one which was interesting to me from the 80s was the bc boys with a c plus that's yeah, that was just like yeah. that seemed a little that's like hate, hate to me somebody, yeah. was that? they were the lowest scoring they were the lowest scoring on the list um and it's interesting though you have to you know i love yo bum rush the show by public enemy i mean you know it, it's not their best album i would give that up to it takes a nation but if he did this in 87, that was the only album that they had out, you know, and I think that he graded kind of the new Jacks and I put myself in Cole Modi's shoes or put myself in Cole Modi's shades at the time. You know, he gave Rakim, KRS, PE, you know, a little bit of like, yo, pay your dues, you know, let's see you evolve. Let's see what you're capable of. The Run DMC is is crazy to me. And, you know, you can make the point with the Beastie Boys. Um you know, and again, I mean, contextually, I wasn't there at the time, but License to Ill, even to this day, while it's a classic, I think from an MC standpoint, the Beastie Boys evolved incredibly in the years that followed, especially in the 90s. Um, but it's wild. And yeah, the LL, um, he really he really was critical of LL um, about originality, which was funny because MC Shan and Steady B and Cool Modi, the guys that kind of dissed LL when he came out. That's what they criticized of him stealing other people's styles. But yeah, I mean, just, just an interesting phenomenon, but talk about the nineties a little bit. 
Yeah, so the 90s is what really stirred people up. And, um, you know, for that one, he gave uh, Lauren Hill and, and Biggie were the only two who had an A+, plus, which, you know, it's hard to, like, argue against those two, um, you know, for the impact that they had. I think what was more remarkable was the grades that he gave to other MCs that I think a lot of people would think would be in that A-plus category, at least A. Mm-hmm. He gave Jay-Z a B with a six on stage presence. And, you know, listen, I saw Jay back in the day, and he wasn't, like, the greatest performer. He, he definitely has uh, stepped up his game in that regard. Um, but a six, you know, and a B for arguably the GOAT is pretty crazy. Gave DMX a B plus. Uh, versatility and vocabulary were a seven. Um, DMX has never used the most complicated vocabulary, so you know maybe. Black Thought he gave a B plus, and again, versatility, voice, records, and stage presence were uh, eights. Uh, and eight is not a bad grade, but like just when you add it up to a B plus for Black Thought, it seems kind of crazy to me. Most F B plus. He gave Puff Daddy a B. But Mace is C plus, which I thought was really interesting, given that Mace, like like Puff to me, took his whole style from Mace. Like he was mini Mace uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, on the mic. Uh, mystical, a lot of people getting get, getting an A was uh, rub people the wrong way, which I found to be interesting because I think that Mystical is one of the dopest MCs ever. Is super original, um, you know, bombastic. Uh, great presence stage-wise, you know, energy is on a 12 all the time. I think Mystical is a really dope MC. Redman, perennial favorite for AFH, he gave a B plus, and Big Pun, a B. And so, you know, what he's now since, you know, kind of clarified himself. You want to talk about what he said to uh, Rock and Bells, ironically? It, ironic indeed, because, you know, here he's speaking with LL's company and um, his quote was, you know, in the late 90s, Lauren Hill, Jay-Z, a lot of those people were newcomers at the time. Jay-Z, Nas, Lauren Hill and DMX were my favorites then. But I said, let's break it down a little bit further. And I was making a point to tell people that Lauren Hill was a lot better than a lot of the MCs at the time. And a lot of people didn't give her credit, which is an amazing point. Um, and you and I have have spoken a lot about that. And, you know, certainly I think my favorite verse of, of 2021 was Lauren, you know, in her rap bag on on, on Oz's album. Um, and, you know, it's funny because Komodi also said, if I took the time to rescore it now, it'll definitely reflect how things turned out. So sort of like 87, when I'm talking about Rakim and PE and KRS, 99 is an interesting year. I mean, Jay, as great as Reasonable Doubt is, it's not hard for you for any head to rap to argue that he rapped technically better in the years that followed. Um, And even with his kind of stiggity style in the early nineties, originality is going to punish him there because you can say that was Dawes effects or Fushnikens. Um, So yeah, it's just an interesting thing. and, And I really like the way you broke it down too, because you know, when this hit the internet, I kind of eye rolled, but I was like, on one hand, like, great, go buy ego trips book, but on another, if you're just trying to come with fodder and the takeaway is, well, who the hell's Cole Modi? That's not fair to hip hop because Cole Modi is a true architect. And as you and I spoke about in our 1984 podcast, you know, by way of Treacherous 3, Modi was able to be a late 70s, early 80s MC and make the switch into the mid 80s, releasing platinum and gold records, you know, and that's huge. So he is an authority. And I, I thought, you know, at the end of the day, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another thing that came up 
I don't want to spend too much time on it because we just don't know if it's true. You know, the, the, the source is, is what it is, uh, is that Pete Rock is allegedly suing Nas uh, for royalties that are owed to him for his participation on Illmatic and producing The World Is Yours. And um, the story was first reported in page, on page six of, of, of the New York Post. Um, and there's a quote that they attribute to Pete saying that Nas and his people have stonewalled me since 1994. My New Year's resolution is to be compensated for my hard work on Illmatic. That's a quote that the New York Times says is from page six. Now, um, I don't want to get into it because I don't know, uh, you know, if that's true or not. You know, um, Peter's uh, friend to the site, like, um, been really uh, supportive of us, and we are huge fans of his, too. What I will say is that there's been a lot of chatter about how this would be the label, and uh, this is obviously incorrect. I want to just set the record straight on that. You know, I, I uh, did legal agreements back in the day. I probably did over 100 producer agreements in the 90s, like from 1997 to 1999. And I will say that it is not necessarily the case that the producer fees are paid by the record company. Uh, producer fees ultimately are, are the responsibility of the artists, and artists get, call it 12 to 15% of royalties. Typically, a producer is paid three to 4% royalties for a record that comes out of the artist's cut. So uh, an artist will go down to, you know, eight to 12 or eight to whatever the math is um, minus their percentage of royalties. Now what is negotiable in a producer agreement is who pays those royalties. Uh, a savvy lawyer will make it so the record company pays producers directly so that, uh, you know, they don't have to get behind the artists and wait for the artists to pay them because artists might not be on, be as on top of the payment as uh, a record company might be. Often also artists have to recoup, meaning earn back the money that was spent on videos and recording and all the miscellaneous expenses before they get their royalties, whereas producers are often paid from record one. So... Um, a lot of lawyers will try and negotiate that their pay, their producers are paid directly from the record label so that they don't have to wait for the artist to pay them. But it's not always the case. There are lots of people who don't negotiate at that point, and they actually have to get the money from the artist. So it is possible that uh, an artist would owe a producer money. Um, so um, the, the, contract, the contractual structure is not, um, we don't know that. So we can't definitively say that this would be the label because uh, that's just not true. It, it could it could be the label or it could be the 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 artist that that owes money in that situation. As far as this one goes, I have no idea. You know, um, that's between Pete and Nas and and Sony. Uh, but it was an interesting story. But anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just three quick things. I think we're living in an era of you got to use the media to right the wrongs, and that doesn't mean that that's Nas. That doesn't mean that it's Sony. But I mean, we all watch De La Soul. Um, I believe claim victory in their fight against Tommy boy and Tom Silverman, you know, their catalog is now going to be coming to the light. I believe this year was supposed to be the end of last year. And these men are going to be properly compensated for their work. Um, so it was curious that it was page six, the New York post. Um, it was curious to me, um, you know, Pete rock did, I think two joints on the lost tapes too. Um, you know, which was released through Nas's company. Presumably he didn't do that, you know, without being paid, 
again, let them sort it out. The only other thing that came to my mind, I was talking to Diamond D years ago. I mean, over like 15 years ago. And I asked Diamond about, you know, producing for the Fuji's album, The Score, which he did the title track. And he was really upset. And this was all, you know, public information. Um, article was for allhiphop.com. And Diamond said, you know, why Clef never cleared the sample, which has a Simon Day sample to that song. And as a result, Diamond never got paid on this album that, by Proz's estimation, sold 22 million copies. Um, Illmatic is a double platinum album. Uh, the World is Yours is a gold certified single. You know, it was one of the video singles of Illmatic. If you look at the writing credits and the inserts, you know, there's one sample on the song and it's Tila Rock, It's Yours. There's, you know, hip hop heads know, and I'm not going to sample Snitch, but there's another very prominent sample in that song. And that artist who happens to be from my hometown is not mentioned in there. So I wonder if it's a situation too where the paperwork, whether that was Nas, whether that was, you know, one of the executive producers, whether that was the label wasn't handled right. And after all of these years, those royalties have been claimed by, you know, a copyright issue. And in any event, I do believe that Pete Rock contributed to arguably the greatest hip hop album of all time. He should absolutely benefit from that. Time will tell how this is sorted out, but it definitely was a curious issue. Yeah, it, it, it definitely sounds much more complex than one quote can convey. So, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So we did a story. Um, the Game re- recently released a song with Kanye West uh, called Easy with a Z. Uh, it uses a um, a hook that is kind of a, an ode to like an easy E song. Um but the, the the newsworthy item here was Kanye's verse. Kanye details kind of where he is in his divorce process, explaining why he would move across from Kim the street from Kim Kardashian. Also says he wants to kick Pete Davidson's ass and a lot of other humorous stuff. Um, but definitely check out that story on the site if you want more details about it. But uh, Kanye is never, never short on commanding attention. Yeah, no. And and it's wild, too, because that song released over the same weekend that apparently Kanye was, again, allegedly having issues getting to one of his children's birthday party. I mean, it's crazy how much hip hop has intersected with, you know, TMZ culture. Um, another takeaway of this song, I mean, DJ Premier, who, you know, part of Illmatic, we've, we've spoken about him earlier today, did the scratches on. It also marks an armistice between Kanye and Hitboy. Um, you know, who had made classics together um, between Watch the Throne and Good Music. And those guys had had a back and forth, which you and I had addressed briefly on these podcasts. But Hip Boy produced the song, Kanye spits on it. And this is the biggest record from the game in, in some years now. And not to say that he hasn't been active. He's on Russ's album, did a joint um, with, with Ransom and Rome Streets. But this is like the game coming back in the spotlight. And what better way than through the gossip column? Yeah, and I'm excited to see there's a new documentary coming out on Netflix called Genius, uh, produced by Kude and Chike, uh, Creative Control. They've got, I think, a decade's worth of behind-the-scenes footage with Ye, um, and the trailers so far look amazing. They've got, you know, him rapping with Most Def. Uh, there's song Two Words. Yeah. They've got Kanye from, you know, young Ye, producer, Afro, trying to get on to, like, current current Ye. And so I think it's going to be really, really amazing when it drops. I think it drops That's in February. Yeah. Creative Control made some of the greatest videos of the last 20 years. I mean, hands down. That's no hyperbole. And I know they've been sitting on that footage. So that's great. 
Um, just in passing, you know, shout out, we lost, um, you know, even in 2022, we're losing people, but a friend of mine, CPO Boss Hogg, who heads may know from um, appearing on Tupac's All Eyes on Me, um, Picture Me Rolling song. And as we talk about royalties, CPO had told me one time, you know, he was never paid for that song. And years after Pac died, he made a call at the time, the catalog was handled by UMG. He was like, hey, I wrote on it. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, fill out this paperwork, whatever, whatever. And he said one day a check for $37,000 came out. And that was exclusively the mechanical royalties. So the hard copies of that album. I mean, this was pre-streaming. But as a, a Compton native who never got his shine, he told me how that made such a difference in his life. You know, that that check showing up. And um, I don't know why he passed this week. He had had some health concerns involving his heart over recent years but um we covered that on the site it was one of our bigger stories of the week and um i really really hope that 2022 does not continue this trend of of losing um stakeholders in this culture yeah you know yeah obviously we know that it's part of the cycle of life but it feels like we're losing mcs rappers at disproportionately at young ages now rap is too young a genre to be having as many deaths as we're having you know we're losing people in their 50s if they're li- if, if it's by natural causes and obviously there's the violence that, that that's marred things where we're losing people in their, their teens and 20s too but it's, it's rough man yeah i agree um we'd love to have um a year where there are no like you know uh, there isn't that that spree of deaths that we start to see in the springtime so yeah that'd be dope definitely well you know as as we close i mean is there there was a lot of new music this week is there any that you in particular would like to discuss yeah you know we talked about uh corday we talked a, a bit about jd jid had a song uh, surround sound with 21 savage and baby tate i think i would highlight an album that wouldn't typically get coverage on our site which is gonna um I forget the name of the album. It's um uh let's see. You had me playing it yesterday too. Yeah. Um I'm looking it up because I want to make sure that I'm quoting it correctly. But uh he has an forever. season forever. Yeah. And um that album is amazing to me. It's melodic rap, but some of the best out there. Yeah, you know, he's an affiliate of Young Thug. I think signed to Young Thug. And you know, if you his music is really, really uh, incredible. And he talks about a lot of deep things too, but anyone wanting to kind of uh, venture out beyond traditional rap, highly recommend that one. Uh, Don FM, the weekends album I've been digging into as well. Like that. It's kind of an eighties throwback. So if you like that eighties sound um, and there's a, a deep theme to it too, it's about um, um, death and afterlife and things like that. Those are the ones that kind of stuck to my ribs. Um, I'm, I'm a little, I'm probably like halfway into Earl Sweatshirt Sick, uh, which came out and digging into that. I got to say first impressions are it didn't hit me the way some of Earl's music in the last couple of years has, but I'll definitely give it a couple spins before making any conclusions. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you with Earl. I, the weekend is incredible at creating these universes and, and just so much style. And he pays homage to, you know, obviously a lot of Michael Jackson and different things, but he, he just, artists are always have these lofty, you know, things that they're trying to do. And The weekend just executes really well. Um, you know, we talked in, in brief about Corday's album. I think it's one that I personally will continue to speak about this year. It, it really impressed me from a bird's eye view. Um, 
Nas was touted to be on the album, did not appear as of yet um, on a song with Freddie Gibbs and Stevie Wonder, which actually is not one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, actually, my my two favorite guests on the record are Gunna on the joint today and Lil Wayne on a song that had come out last year with a video called Sinister. But I would really encourage, especially if any of our listeners are still kind of new to the Corday party or a bit skeptical, uh, Jean-Michel, um, which you put on our playlist, um, I texted it as my song of the day yesterday and Westlake High. Just just really incredible. I think Corday is here to stay, which is evident from the earlier part of our conversation. Um, you know, we, you meant, we mentioned Ninth Wonder in passing. He put out a new album with Mussolini. New York City artist called the Don and I album um, released on Jamla fans of ninth uh, check that out Mussolini's put in work with Planet Asia and 38 special agree with what you said on Earl um, you know just a couple of of, of quick joints um, Camp Low I texted it to you earlier this week man they put out a joint called Daydreaming and Camp Low uh, in a different way than the weekend but they are so good about channeling past vibes like they go back 30 40 years and hit you with a sample or hit you with some slang that really take you to a place and i like that song a lot um they really kind of caught a vibe with that one um evidence who at the end of 2021 i really went to the mat as releasing my favorite album he is a featured artist on producer nicholas craven's song breaking adams and nick craven you know he worked with makami and west side gun last year ransom hosts of others um beautiful soul sample ev he's one of those artists like royce like master ace that you know black thought that gives his features the same attention he gives his own album super introspective verse um and it's cool uh fans of main source and breaking out on the album will appreciate the artwork which got the blessing of main source which i thought was really dope um and just just one or two others uh, I just mentioned Master Ace right there. He has a song I texted you as well called Positive Over Negative, which is like a sequel to Beautiful from his Long Hot Summer album, which is um, with the producer out of Washington, D.C. I hope I'm saying this right. Kanan on who's been supporting us a lot on social media. And I really that's been in heavy duty rotation. Um, and then, you know, to close, you just mentioned uh, Surround Sound, J.I.D., 21 Savage and the singer Baby Tate. Um, it's at top our playlist right now. It'll have a familiar uh, sample to a lot of hip hop heads. I'm curious if this song was done during the Revenge of the Dreamer sessions, just because, you know, 21 Savage was very present for that. Obviously, J.I.D. And if so, how dope is it that two or three years later, it sounds so timeless? Because this record, um, it's been heavy duty rotation for me. And, and J.I.D.'s second verse is even better than his first. Or yeah, a great song. So uh what's your song of the week? Man, um I will go with that Nicholas Craven and Evidence, Breaking Adams. That is just heavy duty rotation. What about you? I'm gonna go with Die Alone from the Gunner album. I think mm-hmm. it's a really deep uh song. Um just beautiful in terms of the melody and the music. But yeah, I encourage people to check that one out. Dope, man. Well, it feels feels great to be back. I think we're gonna have some big uh headlines to discuss and we got some special treats in the store so thank you for anyone who listened and uh we're here to give you an even better show this year word all right peace man Bless. Bless.